Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into today's episode of the Money Insights Podcast, the alternative wealth building podcast for high income earners. My name is Christian Allen, here with my co host who we all lovingly know as Rod the Pod Zabriskie. Rod, what's up? Hey, I'm Here is the Pod. Yes. How are you doing? I'm a little grumpy, if I'm being honest. Oh, well, we do want you to be honest. But here's the thing. <laughs> I think I have the, the right antidote for this grumpiness. Okay, tell me. I'm it's excited to hear. We're going to talk about college planning oh, today. Rod. It's Ron, I've been telling you how bored I, I am anytime I get into the college. No, I'm just teasing. Like I, I kind of, okay. It is kind of a boring topic. Like, let's be real, right? However, it's a personal finance show and it's an important topic. And my guess is there are a lot of people who are listening to this that strongly believe in education, the value of education, planning yeah. and preparing for it. So for that reason, Rod, we want to make sure that people are going to, if you have to go through the boring kind of conversation around college planning you might as well at least do it right yeah absolutely it's moment that's has my come. attitude yeah it's moment absolutely. has come and hopefully it will go relatively quickly no yeah. i'm just teasing okay <laughs> well i'm excited we're gonna talk about uh college planning today but before we do that rod i just want to remind everybody that our next live webinar is going to be on october 12th at 11 a.m mountain time it is called from owner to investor how to plan prepare and profit and our intention is to have a special guest with many, many years of expertise and experience in the uh, business space. So I think it'll be good. Absolutely. But we do need to reach out and make sure we get him, Rod. So have you done that yet? Not yet, but we'll get him. Okay. We'll get him. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Well, look forward to that. So Rod, let's get to our let's get to our topic then. I actually want to say the, the title because I really put a lot of effort into these titles. So yeah. Smart Money Moves. How cash value life insurance can turbocharge your college savings plan. Although, Rod, did I come up with that or did you? Uh, you must have. Okay, okay. I probably did. I probably I like to put a lot of effort into these names, so I, yeah. I probably did, but sometimes I forget. Okay, I'm excited about this though, Rod, because uh um, like I said, even though it's a boring topic, we're gonna make it a little bit more fun <laughs> by uh making sure that we're throwing out the bad stuff. Cause there is a lot of bad stuff in the college. And I think <laughs> that might be the reason I'm so bored of it. Like it, it's like, okay, you want to start, you want to start planning for college. You have two options, five twenty nines or Coverdell savings accounts that like haven't been <laughs> used in 50 years. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. those are the options. Okay. Obviously those aren't the only options. We're going to talk about some others. Um, okay. But why don't be, since this was more, your topic idea, Rod, why don't you set the stage for your thoughts around college savings, college planning, and give us kind of a, an overview of where we're going to go with this conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. Now, especially because uh, the majority of our listeners are high income earners and, uh, and take, have put high value on education for their kids, want to make sure that they're ready and able to go. And because of the, in the high income space, it's harder to qualify for the federal aid, the grants, those kinds of things. You, you just kind of take it on yourself, right? And but I wasn't even high income growing up, and I and and maybe it was just that I didn't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't 
qualify for anything. I remember going into the, like I, I was a, uh, I came from, I, I always tell people my, my dad passed when I was out in Virginia for a couple of years, I come mm -hmm. home and I'm starting getting ready to start college. I have like very little money, right? Mm -hmm. My mom has her savings and stuff in retirement, but like, I don't have a lot of money. And can I just tell you, um, we were like a single, like a single, uh, income household and i still struggled to qualify now to be fair we weren't we weren't like poor my mom had the house paid off and you know you know five to seven hundred thousand dollars to live off with her and including and then yeah. Some first yeah but she was like okay but it wasn't like we were like you know living high on the hog and there was at least it felt like there was no help for me. So this is just an interesting thought going into it. Yeah well and and I'm as in a similar boat with there was a a high culture of going to college. All eight of us siblings graduated from college. That is fantastic. Um, however, it was made clear that for my parents, they're like, okay, you're not getting any help from us though. So we want you to go. We want you to succeed. It, it brought up. You're going to have to work hard and get some scholarships. That That's going to be your thing. And that's how you guys did it, right? Yep. yep. Okay. So this is going to be a little embarrassing to admit, but actually I'm quite proud of it. So I am a uh, four-year college dropout, right? <laughs> All of so six of the seven kids in my family are are uh, college graduates. I am okay. the okay. only one who did not graduate from a four-year college. I, I kind of ended up taking a more like niche route and went straight into the financial planning world. Yeah. But can I just tell you, I'm very proud to be the one college dropout <laughs> in my family. Um, it's it. been like, it was the best decision I ever made. That said, that said, I do put a high value on education, just like the rest of our listeners. Sure. Yeah. No, and that's the thing is you always have uh, sought out education. You, you, It's a school of, I don't know if hard knocks is the right word, it's but like alternative like, style. I usually just like dive go. into it and, you know, but I did do some stuff like in the college, of, I went to like the college for financial planning and the American mm -hmm. college, some things to get like specialized knowledge in this space. Yeah. But man, can I just tell you, Rod, when I got to college, I know this is a little bit of a tangent here, but I'm sitting in general, general ed, and I'm just like bored out of my mind. And I'm thinking, how do people get through this? And I, <laughs> and I managed to get through one semester and I was like, I was like, that's it. I'm starting my career. I got in with a, with a financial planning firm early and dropped out and never looked back. And can I just tell you best decision I ever made? Um, but, but that's not, I, I want to be really clear. I'm not trying to suggest that everybody should go my route. There's a lot of people who will get more value. It just makes more sense to go the education route. So anyway, education is critically important. And that's, I know that I've been all over the place, but I do believe that, that education is really important. Well, and I think your, your uh, little diversion there actually is very helpful because we're going to talk about a 529 plan just so we can contrast it against the other stuff we're going to talk about. Okay. And one of the challenges of the 529 plan is if your child doesn't end up going to college, what are you going to do with that money? Uh, right now it just true. sits there. It becomes well, like, Oh yeah. My parents, they've been saving for years and it's just sitting in the, like we can't get it out. Yeah. I'm just kidding. So, okay. It's not really that, but, okay. but you make a good point. Yeah. Okay. So going back to the, the catalyst behind this, like obviously we're proponents of life insurance as an asset, especially for high income earners because of the additional tax benefits and the ability to put more money in and those kind of things that we, you can't get from some of these other yep. uh, built in, tax incentives from the, you know, that are just kind of put out there from the IRS or from the government. Mm -hmm. Um, I forgot where I was going with that, Rod, but let's, 
let's jump into oh i remember we're going to focus specifically on how cash value can create a pretty unique element in that right because mm -hmm. here's the deal people who are listening to this know something that most people don't know rod yeah they know that the policy is not or does not necessarily have to be the investment yeah. And once that once that idea gets through your head, like things really change. Right. Yeah. Because now I'm thinking I can college. I can now do my college savings, but I can invest in real estate or any other asset class I want to yeah. instead of this world where I've got to be in like a very defined like, let's you know, the 529s, they do them by state as an example. And it's like you have like seven funds inside of that 529 mm -hmm. plan. And that's what you go to. Mm -hmm. Well, what we're going to show is an opportunity to, to be totally free and opportunistic and invest in anything. And can I just tell you that is the reason or the reason that we like life insurance for college planning, but, yeah. or, or I should say one of the many reasons. Okay. Yeah. I'm probably like not doing a good job at saving the, like the, the meat of it for you're, later, you're but throwing out these teasers. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's teasers. I think I'm just like going past the teasers <laughs> and just like giving the whole shebang. So I'm going to try to stop doing that. Um, Rod, where do you want to start with this conversation? Well, let's start with the 529, just just so we can okay. Okay. establish kind of where most people go and why do they go there? Because that's all they know. Okay. What is it and, and how does it like give us the gist of yeah. what a 529 is? The 529 plan is basically the state saying, hey, we, we want to encourage you to say to Put money aside for your kids to go to school the state is saying hey we value education we want to make it uh yeah. beneficial for you as you're setting that money aside so they set up these 529 plans and when you put money into it the money ain't going into it is actually after tax from a federal income tax standpoint some states will actually give you a, a tax benefit going in um so after tax going in and then as it grows it grows to what they call tax deferred you don't get a 1099 at the end of each year as the money grows, but then as you're taking it and you're using it for, they call it qualified expenses, tuition, room and board, yep. that kind of thing, what, whatever the child yep. needs to, to make it, you know, at, at school. And, uh, and so then when you take that money back out, it comes out tax-free. So hopefully between the time you put it in and the time you're taking it back out, you've had some growth in it um, and you get to take that growth out without paying any tax on it. And can I just say, like, that is basically, well, I was going to say it's basically a Roth IRA in that situation, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so that, that is valuable. Like, especially if we believe taxes are likely to go up, then there's just an element to where that could be a, you know, a real tax benefit with the caveat being that if you spend it on qualified, that's right. I was going to say medical qualified educational expenses. Yeah. Right. And so now as we get into the pros and cons of this, the, the pros are that you get that kind of tax benefit. And again, especially if it's money that you're setting aside and you know it's going to go toward education expenses anyway, well, why not take advantage of the, of the opportunity to get those tax benefits, right? Yeah. Again, we'll, we'll contrast that against or, or compare this against the whole life and, and tell you what, what other options you have. But the point is that that's why these 529 plans exist. Okay. But then the question is, are you happy with those handful of investment options that you're given by the state? Somebody out there, some guru, went and handpicked a few different uh, places, basically the equivalent of mutual funds. Mm -hmm. You can put that money in, have it invested while you're building toward 
the the time where your child's ready to go to school. And so now, okay, as you look at those options, are you happy with, with that? Right? Mm. Not much in terms of variety of what you could invest in. Number two, do you like how the, having money sitting there in the, in the kind of stock market subject to the, the volatility? Number three, what about the timing, right? If, if your child is, is going to school and the market's crashing, you're just hoping that it recovers quickly while they're, while they're in school. But, but the, the fact is you're actually at, at forced at a place where you have to um, sell low while because the time came right it's time to to take the money out uh, okay rod can i can i give you a little pushback on that one sure just just for food for thought here so to me if i'm looking at the other side of that i'm thinking that's pretty easy to plan around right like you, you know like maybe not in that very moment but mm -hmm. but you know maybe the situation is that to make sure that you are not pulling when the market's low you have some sort of like little side amount of money that is totally uncorrelated i'm, I'm talking about a really great retirement planning strategy here aren't i uh -huh. but you could you could just take that a little bit of money x aside and that way you give the give the college savings plan an opportunity to recover so like here's the here's the better better question rod i just talked about how you could go and invest in real estate or other things like isn't it more likely that you might have a difficult time getting money out of that side, the alternative space versus the traditional. Just I'm just throwing it out. No, there. it's it's absolutely possible. And so what I'll say is this: as always, be smart, right? Be smart in the way okay. you're investing, the the liquidity, the when you need the money, all those kinds of things. Absolutely. I have a solution for this for my for okay. the problem I just put out there. So okay. remember how I said it was really easy to to put together a side fund in your traditional investments. Yeah. It is equally easy to do that in the alternative world. So uh -huh. here's what I would suggest. I would go to the place that I felt more comfortable and confident in producing a return that would help me get to the place that I wanted to be. So yeah. that's basically a long-winded way of saying, for me, I would still go into the alternative world, even if I had to deal with some potential issues around like liquidity. Although, although you could plan, right? Like it's pretty easy to say, my kid is seven years old today. They're going to be going to school at 18. I have an 11 year horizon in a traditional mutual fund. It's just kind of there and going up and down. Uh, you might, you might be in a specific, you know, set of real estate deals and you won't, you know, that you've got to be exiting by this date. And so you plan appropriately. But anyway, my point is to say that, you know, you can, even though I brought that point up, I think it's legitimate. I think the, the legitimacy exists regardless of whether you're going traditional or alternative and so well we lean alternative most of the time yeah yep plan accordingly right plan on the timing everything else yep okay and then the last con that i'll talk about on the 529 then we'll move on is we, and we, we hit it on earlier those that money is designated for education and only education for that child like when you set up a 529 account it the designated beneficiary is the child and so, mm -hmm. uh, what are you going to do if they drop out? If they're out? me and they drop out. If they drop out, or, or I'm thinking about my son, Spencer, he, he decided to join the army. It's not to say he won't ever go to school, but, but for at least for now. Well, and not. what if the military pays for his school? Then like, exactly. Yep. That is exactly mm -hmm. the, the kind of thing. So, or they get, okay. or you get a scholarship, like 
like they really do succeed. In, in, yeah, in, that is a little weird. Way. Okay, so this is gonna sound. This is I I, I didn't uh, prep on the five twenty nines coming into this. So mm-hmm. remind me, Rod, if if I'm that person, I don't use the money. What happens? It basically becomes a retirement account. Okay, that's right. I knew that. Thank yeah. you for the reminder. So it's not like you're having to wait. You don't have to wait till like it doesn't have to be like passed on and then they and then they die and finally the money comes out (laughs) that would be crazy but you're saying once they get to like the 59 and a half then it could be used as a retirement so okay so that's helpful to know we want to be fair and uh complete yeah the money doesn't go away but it doesn't go away it's not i mean it's still there you just have uh strong limitations on when you can take it that kind of yeah okay yep okay cool where do we go next? All right, so that well, that's the five twenty nine. I think I think that's as much as we want to cover there, um, because okay. what what people came to hear about is how we can use cash value life insurance as an alternative to that, as a uh, an additional option that that maybe people didn't realize or think about as something they should consider as, as it relates to college planning. Rod, what they came to do is learn how to use cash value life insurance to turbocharge their college savings plan. Yes. They want to make smart money moves. Rod. Absolutely. Okay. So uh we're not gonna talk about Coverdell, Rod? Coverdell uh, college y- savings. Yeah, plan? I I didn't bring it because like you said, it's 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 like okay. 529. There are some nuanced differences, but except it's worse, right? And so it's like five five twenty-nine, but not as good and basically has become obsolete. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. All right. Well, all we, we won't talk about Coverdells. Um, but they do exist, so yeah. And I can't remember why they were named that, but I did know that once upon a time. Okay, Rod. Well, then let's move into, uh, let's set the stage for how life insurance, and you're saying, okay, one of the things I've noticed, you keep saying whole life insurance. Do you care That's whether that point. traditional whole life insurance or universal life? Like, do you, we, we, we don't typically do, well, from a belief standpoint, we typically stay away from variable mm-hmm. life insurance, mm-hmm. but we do play in both the index and traditional whole life space. Is this only for whole life? Like it's- don't, don't touch college savings and a life insurance policy is completely illegitimate unless it's in traditional whole life insurance. Is that what you're saying? No, it's a fair, it's a fair point because it could, you could go the IUL route. I think the reason why I was doing that is because what we're going to talk about is, and, and you already kind of hit on it, doing this in conjunction with other strategic planning and other things that you're doing in your investing. Okay. So for example, the investment optimizer using a whole life policy is a, a great way to kind of dual purpose that policy, using it for the investing and using it for. As okay. Kind of okay. So, so you're saying, you're saying basically because in the investment optimizer, we, we typically use, whole life insurance. Not that that's mm-hmm. the only way to go, but like there's sure. some, there's some mi- minor drawbacks around using universal life insurance as a, as a, an opportunity fund to invest out of. Mm-hmm. But what you're saying then is that because in the investment optimizer, we're using whole life insurance as our base policy to invest out of our opportunity mm-hmm. to invest mm-hmm. from that just kind of translates to be similar because the likelihood is we'll be doing the same thing with our college planning money. Right. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. Okay. Yep. And then also one one other point, um, and again, you kind of hit on it, is the idea that it's not correlated to the market. The whole whole life specifically is not. IUL is mild. Not. Yeah. You you don't participate it's not in the uncorrelated. 
yeah. yeah, but you're you're not, but but it is. I mean, you're you're. It's linked to what's happening in the market. Depending depending on what's happening there, it determines how much growth you get in in your account. And this is something that people don't typically understand: is it can be possible to lose money in a universal life policy, whereas in a whole life policy, you just can't, right? Right. And a year to year. Now, when I say lose money, it, I don't mean like lose money from the return, but I could lose money um, in a given year based on like if I got no return, but I still took on cost. Yep. Right. So yeah. you're not participating okay. in the losses of the market, but yeah, you had some costs in that same year where you didn't earn any interest. Therefore, you lost a little bit of ground on. On, on the other plan. hand, Rod, we could have years where you drive a 10 or 12 percent return and you're using it to invest. And so you could get like a double whammy. Yeah. Bang, bang. It's true. <laughs> OK, cool. Sorry. All right. I just wanted to make sure we like laid out all of the facts there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's. Let's talk first about the the tax treatment, and that is because what I described on the five twenty nine plan is exactly the way the tax treatment works on the whole life policy. In other words, uh, sorry, in life insurance, cash value life insurance, we put money in after tax. It grows tax deferred, which again means we're not getting a ten ninety nine each year to to you know pay in tax on the growth as it goes. And then when we access it and take the money out, whether it be for college planning or any of these other purposes, investing, uh, retirement, et cetera, it's all going to come back out income tax-free. So from a tax perspective, they're exactly the same. You mentioned the Roth earlier. They basically act like a Roth. With a couple of caveats, there's not nearly as many rules and regulations around life insurance and how to access it and how much money you can make and how much you can put in as there is in a 529, but the actual tax treatment, assuming you played the 529 out to its planned conclusion where you pay mm-hmm. for pay for educational expenses, yep. in that situation, it does end up being exactly the same as what we're talking about here. Yep. Okay. Exactly. So then you ask yourself, okay, if, if the tax treatment is basically the same, then which do I like better for all of the other features that are available. We talked about the investment options on the 529 side. Now in terms of investment options inside of the cash value life insurance, uh, you brought up variable life. You could do that. And that would be actually kind of similar to what the 529 was doing in, in the, in the sense that it's kind of moving with the market up and down as, as the volatility happens, hopefully more up than down. Um, whereas then you have the IUL where it, you have that downside protection, and you participate with the gains up to a cap. And then you have whole life where it's completely uncorrelated. You have a guaranteed interest plus a dividend that has nothing to do with what's going on in the in the general kind of stock market. So, and then going back to the, a, a point, a teaser that you made earlier, where we don't treat life insurance like the investment necessarily right could you do that absolutely you could just put it in there wait for for college to come and then take the money and go use it however in the meantime if if you were using one of our strategies the investment optimizer where you're taking that money to go out and invest in anything anything you want real estate uh, your business whatever someone else's business mortgage funds whatever um so that you're creating that growth inside of it and or you're using it in conjunction with that and cycling it back into the fund so that you have more money there that's available for the college 
uh, when that time comes. So when you when you take some of those those differences, and again, we'll hit on a few others here in a minute, but take those differences, then you're deciding, okay, it's the same tax treatment, but which do I like better for the other features that are available? I had a thought as you were going through that, Rod. You were talking about how we don't typically use life insurance as the investment. Mm-hmm. That uh, changes when we talk about capital avalanche leveraged. Yeah. yeah. So the thought that came to my mind, and maybe you're getting, you're going to talk about this, but does it or can it make sense for college planning specifically to use a leveraged policy, use premium finance as a way to plan? Let's say it's 15 years down the line. Yeah, that that's really the key. It's the timing. Because, uh, and it depends on how you fund the capital avalanche. If you're just funding one year and then financing everything after that, then you're going to need a 12 to 15 year time horizon before you want, you're ready to start taking the money out. If you were to fund two or three years first and then start the financing, then you might be seven or eight years uh, to where you could start taking the money out. But if it's only a couple of years away to, you know, your, your child is That's- 16, then then yeah, capital avalanche is not an option that you would want to consider. And life insurance in its purest sense, someone might say, well, for the same kind of thing, a 15, 16 year old, it's not appropriate to start a life insurance policy for them if you think it's going to be used for college planning, right? You have those already costs in the first couple of years. But what I would say is, that's true if that's the only purpose for your your policy. If you're saying, hey, all the money I'm, I'm setting aside for my child for, for their college, I'm putting in a life insurance policy. They're 15. I need to be ready in three years to start taking the money back out. Mm, you're right. And I agree. You, you're just, it's, that's not a, a good plan. However, when you do it in conjunction with the investment optimizer, you're, you're using money that you're, you're using, going to uh, be sending the child to college with and all of the money that you're putting in for your investing is all going into the same plan. And then you're turning, starting to turn that into investments, fill that money through it. Well, that create, creates a very different scenario because we're not relying on the policy by itself to now uh, cover the, the college planning. For example, let's say you put a couple hundred thousand dollars into the policy over those, those couple of years. Uh, maybe you've taken some loans to go out and, and create some uh, to, to invest and then you reserved a few dollars there to, that would be used to get the kid, the child started in their college. So you take a loan against the policy to go and pay for their tuition, their you know room board, all that. And then the investment returns that you're getting from your real estate or whatever, kicking that back, that, on, that not only is paying down the loan that you used for that investment, but it's also, it could also be used to pay down the loan that you used to pay for the child's college, right? So in other words, it's just a sequencing thing. You put the money in, you used to go out and invest, and then the returns coming back are ultimately what's paying for the child's college. You know, and I would actually look at, I I hear what you're saying. That makes sense. Um, Another thought that was coming to my mind as you're talking about that is that the loan on a life insurance policy doesn't affect the plan. So like, it doesn't actually matter if I take a loan two or three years in Mm -hmm. as long to the extent that I'm planning to keep the policy long-term, then that even that short-term duration doesn't really matter. Right. Like what would matter is if I was genuinely taking 
you know, if I was if I was taking some of the value out of the policy that exists, but we're not right. Yep. That that the, all of those elements exist regardless. If I said, you know what, I'm going to start the policy today. I'm going to put a, put some cash in it. Then I'm going to cash out the policy, terminate it mm-hmm. three years down the road. Then yes, that would be a bad idea because yeah. I would lose money on that deal. But if I instead kept that money or kept the policy, even if I kept it for seven, eight, ten years, I probably will keep it indefinitely. Like that's just what people do. Mm-hmm. But but if I were to do that, I would still be able to recoup the value, even if. I used the money for college during that time. The only caveat being that I didn't terminate the contract because that's what stops the compounding of the policy. Yep. Yeah. And, and then um, I'm, I talked about your investments helping to to pay down that loan, but also think of this way when people are at the point where their children well are, are in college or maybe just recently graduated college, they're also typically in their peak earning years where they're wanting, they have more money to, that they can be, you know, dumping in toward uh, retirement planning and so retirement cash flow planning and so uh, using those funds to also pay down the loan is a possibility as well so again it's just a timing or a sequencing of of the cash and how how you're using it to to pay for things okay rod i think that's probably a good stage setter um do we need to talk at all any more about how like the life insurance itself works or, or do we feel like we've hit on that in enough detail? Any other points on your mind? Yeah, I think we've hit on that. Um, and so I think these, these first initial points, the tax benefits, the, the way it grows. Um, so let's talk about the financial aid implications. Now yeah. I say this realizing that a lot of high income earners, it doesn't matter what the asset side looks like, you probably just are not going to qualify for financial aid. It's just kind of the way it works. However, um, let's say that we have someone who is a high income earner. They are selling their practice or something that just happens to coincide with when their children are going to college. And so they have a low income for uh, at the time where now they're, they're applying for financial aid. And so now it's really all about how their assets are allocated. Well, here's an interesting point. The money that you have in a life insurance policy does not count toward your assets as it relates to financial aid. So when they, when you're filling out the FAFSA form and they're saying, Hey, give us all a breakdown of all of your assets. They ask for cash in the bank and mutual, uh, mutual funds, money market, those kinds of things. Um, but it, it does not include, and it specifically excludes any money that you have sitting in a life insurance policy. That's nice. That's, that's, that's valuable. And here's the deal. Maybe, maybe that information isn't going to be like pertinent for you, but certainly you could have employees or friends or anyway. So there's a lot of value in understanding how that works because uh, most of the world is looking for the most efficient ways to pay for college. And, and of course, like the amount of debt that comes out of college is insane. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we have this massive problem in the world, um, as it relates to paying for college, the more of us that actually know some of the ways to help, you know, help those, especially kids who are trying to get it. Anyway, the, if we can do that, then, you know, more power to, 
the next generation, obviously. Okay. Absolutely. Speaking of the next generation, Rod, and maybe, maybe we're going to talk about this. Maybe you weren't ready to talk about this, but I was thinking, why don't we talk about the value of having a death benefit in a college savings plan, which again, yeah. when you initially think about that, you would think there isn't really any benefit. Like I don't, I don't see the value in it, but mm -hmm. I, I think there actually can be. And especially, especially if you're a high income earner, because this, this kind of thinking is likely already in your milieu anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, great point. And a couple thoughts on that. Number one is that life insurance planning like by itself should always include these types of things, right? If, if you're thinking about it in terms of who, um, who is economically impacted by me dying, right? Um, obviously the income that you bring in income replacement is often a thing we talk about, but then it's also all of the, the other, uh, things that wouldn't be able to happen in the same way if, if I'm gone. So, uh, and and in this case, college planning is obviously a big part of that. So a lot of people do include life or kind of this college planning inside of their life insurance. Like when they say, "How much life insurance do I need? How much should I leave behind if something happens to me?" Then this is this is obviously a big piece of it. So, um, the money that's in the policy, we we always talked about kind of the tax treatment. Well, when it pays out as a tax as a death benefit, it also pays out income tax free in that situation as well. So now that money is there, it's available to be used. And so that's kind of the, maybe the most obvious okay. piece. Okay, Rod, I was really trying to set you up so that you would say the word multi-generational. <laughs> oh, okay. Because people like multi-generational things, yeah. right? So, so maybe what Rod described there in a lot more words was that Life insurance is multi-generational. So here's the deal. Even if you don't use it, whether it's, you know, obviously if you don't use it, it carries both a cash value and a death benefit. You get the larger of those. Mm -hmm. You get a tax-free death benefit, which then kind of creates this compounding effect from generation to generation, even if it's specifically focused on college, right? You could help pay yeah. for college for generations to come, um, or it could be a more generalized asset that, that goes to help you, you know, create the multi-generational wealth that you're looking for. So yeah. I guess what I'm saying is, is it's like a much more efficient asset from that standpoint. Um, and again, especially if you're a high income earner and someone that thinks about investing, that thinks about building wealth, like the chances are you're going to be in a position to get more value from that element of it being multi-generational because of the death benefit and the tax benefits that go with it, that it suddenly becomes, you know, more valuable by a long shot than you know what you can get in like a 529 plan as an example yeah, absolutely there's a term that we've used in the past we, we call it perpetual family banking uh this idea that the investment optimizer is that sounds too much like infinite banking to me rod i don't i don't know perpetual investment optimization there you go <laughs> i that? like it that's better that's okay better. so and the idea is that we're using the life insurance in conjunction with the investing and when one generation is passing on, then this extra death benefit comes in. So you have this kind of like prototypical compound curve with spikes when the extra death benefit comes in. And so multi-generational uh, education planning could be absolutely be part of that. Um, you're doing all this in, maybe inside of a trust. And so as, as part of that trust, you have instructions there that say, hey, 
that this, you know, some of this money is going to be allocated toward education planning for the grandkids and, and whatever. So yeah, I like it. You know what? Here's the here's the really good news. So I'm getting away from this multi-generational element. I'm going to okay. get back to just the just the very basic element of putting money in life insurance to use for college planning. Okay. At the end of the day, you can put it in there and use it for whatever the heck you want. Yeah. Like that's probably the big the biggest part, right? So so if you're like the only way you would consider a 529 over life insurance as a um, as that vehicle is if you one were a, more of a traditional investor and that was like your mm -hmm. your focus right because you might look at that and say well i'd rather go in these you know passive um, mutual funds than go into a life insurance contract that either gets me let's say five or six percent on a tax-free basis which maybe but may actually be better than the mutual fund anyway but mm -hmm. but we don't know right um and maybe they don't want to like do the investing themselves. So like there are, there are some yeah. potential reasons why someone might not want to, but basically outside of that, it just makes more sense because again, you're not hamstringing yourself to using it for one purpose. Rod, is there income limits on 529s? I can't remember. I've, I haven't seen anything that indicates okay. that. It's been a while, man. I told you I didn't come in as prepped as I probably should have on been. the 529 um, yeah. on the 529 specifically. Okay, cool. But, but anyway, I, I guess my, my broader point just is that if I'm, if I'm a wealth builder, if I'm an investor and a saver, I don't want to be hamstrung into one thing, right? Like the fact that I can use my asset in any way I want, like that's what we typically see. People don't normally, if I'm being honest, I don't think, and you could, you know, you meet with clients now and I, and I haven't for several years now. So like, but, but my thought is, is that most people who are starting policies for kids are thinking, I'm going to start a policy for a kid, for my kids so that it can be used for college or to start a business or to buy a first house or to do all yeah. these things. They're not usually thinking I'm going to start this policy exclusively so that they can make sure that we have college money for them. Is that fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that might be like the biggest and best selling point, right? Right. Freedom, flexibility, both in terms of how and when you use the money and how and when you invest the money. Yeah. Cause you know, you were speaking of it in terms of being hamstrung as the, as the parent, you don't want to also hamstring or, or at least you don't want to kind of put that unnecessary pressure on the child. Like, Hey, all this money is here. All you have to do is go to college and you can get it. Right. Like, that's maybe not. <laughs> maybe not I would have gone to college had that happened. <laughs> Forced you. That, that would have been enough to like be motivated. Like, all right, I'm going to sit through this painful English class no matter what. <laughs> and your your and, temperament is such you might have needed a little extra help on the on the backside to <laughs> kind of get your wits back together. I probably I might have. You're probably right. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, this has been fun. Is there anything else? It's actually been more fun than I expected, Rod. I oh, got good. I got like a smile on my face, got excited. I'm not nearly as bored as I thought. This is <laughs> great. Well, there's uh, one is there last. anything else? Okay. I've thrown in some real life examples. I want to do one more. Um, and it's really an extension of what we've already talked about because okay. if someone is doing this, they're putting the money in the investment optimizer kind of plan, and then they also use that plan for to, to fund their the college. And then they kind of refill the bucket using their investments or and or their higher income later once the kids get out of college. Um, and then 
the we always talk about it as phase two anyway of the investment optimizer, and that is using it for retirement cash flow planning, right? Tax-free income coming back out. And again, just maybe reiterating the idea that all of that is happening with the same policy that you set up originally when the kid was whatever, 5, 10, 15, whatever age they were, for as an investment optimizer, you dual-purposed it. Now you triple-purposed it, right, for, for, for all these other things that... So as we live our lives and as the different phases of our lives come through, that's the cool thing about an asset like this is uh, it can be used and it can, the, the strategy around what you're doing with it can evolve as time goes on. You know how I'm feeling right, right now, Rod? Okay. I'm feeling like we have turbocharged not only our college savings, but also our retirement and investment plan all Beautiful. in one. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. People would expect nothing less of that than us. From us. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, this has been fun, Rod. Thanks for uh, pulling us through the college savings conversation. Thanks everybody for listening and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the money insights podcast to learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show. Please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.